Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another regardless of location and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us, and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Most of the time, I am a big advocate for honesty between husbands and wives. Well, honesty in every part of life, but in this case, between husbands and wives. You can't have the kind of marriage that really honors God if you can't trust one another or if it's built on lies. With that said, all bets are off when it comes to birthdays and anniversaries. I mean, when you're trying to get the perfect gift to celebrate your loved one, you can lie to your heart's content or omit information if that's necessary. Only for those purposes do I believe there is a lying dispensation from heaven. And I, I guess even then there is probably a limit. No one needs to come up to me after the service and try to find that limit. Use your common sense, people. Uh, with Dee and I, it is very hard for her to surprise me. I keep track of all of our finances, and over the years, I have ruined more than one of my surprises when I called her up and said, what did you buy from wherever the charge on the credit card or debit card was from? And her response is usually, well, happy birthday early, I guess. Way to ruin the surprise again. <laughs> We've learned that cash is a better way to go most of the time. Uh, every now and then, someone asks me to help them purchase something for their spouse because they have the same issue in their marriage. Uh, just last Christmas, I bought Pastor Michelle's husband Tony's Christmas present for her. She can't even search for something on Amazon without him seeing the digital trail. And for the record, it isn't because he doesn't trust her. He just buys something on Amazon almost every day, and he's the ultimate computer nerd and pays attention when Amazon starts suggesting things. <laughs> Not always helpful. 
You can imagine my surprise when Pastor Anna's husband, Andy, without whom we would be live streaming from my iPhone today, asked me for help. He wanted to splurge and buy Anna an Apple Watch for Christmas. Now, I don't really know why he needed my help. In their marriage, it's his job to make the money and hers to spend it. I've seen her do math, so I know she doesn't track their finances. Besides which, he's a CPA and partner in an accounting firm here in town. But I ordered her Apple Watch for him, which meant that he owed me about 300 bucks. Conveniently, he was selling a dog crate on Craigslist for that amount uh, of cash. So he received cash from the buyer and he gave me three crisp $100 bills so I wouldn't send any henchmen or women to break his legs. And I go to the bank. Would you believe that Mr. CPA partner at a whoop-de-doo accounting firm, uh, a money expert, passed little old me, a humble pastor, a fake $100 bill? <laughs> he did. <laughs> you know what they do when you try to deposit counterfeit money at the bank and they catch you? They not only keep it and you're out the 100 bucks, but they also notify the feds. It's been two years, and I'm still looking over my shoulder, wondering if they're going to break down my door. I wasn't made for prison, folks. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Every bank employee looked at that counterfeit bill, and only one could tell that it was a fake. It was that good. When banks train people to recognize counterfeit money, they don't do it by showing them a counterfeit money. They teach them to recognize the real deal. They study real money until they know it like the back of their hand. It doesn't do any good to use fake money to set the bar for what is real. Only the real deal should set the truth, the, uh, the standard for truth. In my case, it was the weight of the paper that gave it away. Even knowing it was fake, I couldn't tell the difference between my fake $100 bill and the real one that they were, as they were trying to explain it to me. I don't know how they knew. For the record, Andy made sure to give me a real replacement so I wasn't out the $100. You don't have to get defensive on my behalf. I know some of you would go give him a hard time. Give him a hard time anyway, just for the record, but we're, we're good. We're even. Today we begin our summer series, How Do You Recognize a Christian? For the next three months, we're going to explore what 1 John and 2 and 3 John at the end of the summer describe as defining characteristics of an authentic Christ follower. Now, I say Christ follower because lots of people call themselves Christians. In the U.S., just over 70% of us claim to be Christians. But only about 35% of us attend church weekly, and that was pre-COVID. The numbers since COVID are heartbreaking, even with live streaming as an option. Only 32% of Christians read their Bible every day. Like For someone looking to see what difference Christ makes in a life, we send mixed messages. We say Christ is the most important part of our lives, but you don't see him reflected in the way we treat other people. You don't see him reflected in our marriages, in the way we handle our money, the way we spend our time, what we look at on the internet or watch on streaming services, the way we drive. 
We say that Christ has given us victory. He's made us victors, but we are still in bondage to self. Fear still controls us. Anxiety, anger, the lack of peace. We still struggle to find our identity in what he's said is true about us instead of what the world says. We still struggle to define success and security his way instead of in the size of our houses and bank accounts, what we drive and our position at work. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, no offense to anyone named Debbie, but too many of us are counterfeit Christians. Now that might sound harsh, but the proof is in the pudding. If we were all living out the law of love, our highest calling, our world would be a different place. Now, to be fair, none of us has arrived at perfection. We're all people in process, which means you could argue that for everyone, me included, there is a part of our spiritual journey that is still counterfeit at times. We are imperfect people trying to become like Jesus imperfectly. If you're here in the room today or watching online and you're just checking out the claims of Jesus, maybe you're a skeptic because one of us hasn't done a very good job at being a Christian in your life. Uh, Maybe you've been wounded by us, treated badly by us, or you've seen how Christians are characterized in the media and it isn't good. I am truly sorry. Our imperfect journeys painted a counterfeit picture of Jesus. We want to do better. Here at Dayspring, we're committed to doing better, to living life faithfully to Jesus. We aren't there yet. We're still imperfect, but we're growing. But even still, if you are a skeptic, this series is probably a good one to check out. There's no better way to recognize what it means to be Christian than to go to the source, God's Word. We're going to see what characteristics the Apostle John says make a real Christian. Uh, Comparing counterfeits will never give you the real deal. Uh, For those of us in the church, those of us who follow Christ, this is the target. Uh, These are some of the characteristics that will prove our faith. And as we're going to see, John wrote these letters to us, to Christ followers. This is a message to the church. He wrote them so we could be assured that we have life through Jesus. And all of us need that assurance at some point in our journey. In John's life, his journey took a turn when he, along with his brother James, answered Jesus' invitation to join him as disciples. In fact, they were among the first of Jesus' disciples. Uh, They spent three-ish years with Jesus before he was crucified. And then John had been a leader in the church since it began and had labored tirelessly to advance God's kingdom. Uh, He is the author of five books in the New Testament. Besides these three letters, he is the author of the Gospel of John and Revelation. Uh, We know he wrote Revelation while in exile on the island of Patmos, uh, after surviving being boiled in oil during the persecution of Christians under Emperor Domitian. Uh, I can think of few things worse than being boiled in oil. One of them would be surviving being boiled in oil. After Domitian's death, he returned to minister in Asia Minor until his own death. Although we don't know exactly when or where John wrote this first letter, scholars believe it's likely that he penned it in Ephesus. Patmos is also a possibility, probably to the churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. 
Uh, He spent the latter years of his life in Ephesus. So when you look at the overall timing of his life, it makes sense that it would have been written from there. It was written about 60 years after the resurrection, making John around 90 years old at the time. And by this point, the church was in the hands of the second and third generation Christians. And the passion and excitement of those early years had settled into a subtle lethargy. Uh, The seeds of heresy had begun to seep into the culture of the church and core values like truth, love, and hospitality were watered down and abused. Uh, Charles Swindoll notes in his commentary that John presents a simple, uncomplicated worldview of right and wrong. Christ versus antichrist, light versus darkness, truth versus falsehood, righteousness versus sin, love of the Father versus love of the world, the Spirit of God versus the Spirit of the world, children of God versus the children of Satan. By doing so, John redraws the lines of the Christian life that had begun to fade and blur, inviting compromise and capitulation to the relativism of the culture. But even his hard stand on truth was wrapped in love. Love of God and love for others is a major theme of this letter. Truth must always be delivered in love. John tells us in the Gospel of John, in John 20, 31, that he wrote his Gospel that we might have eternal life. Uh, He continues this theme in 1 John, writing that we might know we have eternal life. A theologian, Daniel Aiken, says that by repeatedly applying these avenues of assurance, John will expose those who profess Christ but do not know him, and he will assure those who know Christ but may have doubts about their salvation. In other words, it's possible to know Christ and have doubts. It's also possible to profess Christ and be a liar. As we'll see over the next weeks, right belief in Christ— right obedience to Christ and right love for one another produce fruit in the life of a Christ follower that will not only make a Christ-centered life attractive to those outside the faith, but give us confidence that we have put our faith in the right hands. Now, we're only going to cover four verses this morning, which tells you how jam-packed 1 John is with truth. Uh, We could spend a month just on these verses. We aren't going to, but we could. Uh, Since it's only four verses, uh, let's read through them all so we get a sense of the flow, and then we'll come back and we'll break them down. He begins in verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, this is quite an introduction. Uh, In the original language of Greek, verses one to three are one long sentence, not eight, as we see here in the New Living Translation. 
Uh, If you've studied the Bible for long, you've probably picked up on the fact that in the translation process, some of the nuance that the original audience would have been more aware of is often lost. So let's see if we can recapture some of the meaning uh, of of the original. Uh, Here in the New Living Translation, though we begin with the words we proclaim, in the original language, this verb doesn't show up until verse 3. So let's skip that for a minute and focus on the words from the beginning. Uh, We might see the connection better if we think of it as in the beginning for a moment. Uh, Three books of the Bible begin with this phrase, in the beginning, or here from the beginning. Uh, Genesis begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the next four verses that follow contrast light and darkness. The Gospel of John begins similarly with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the first five verses also contrast light and darkness. We see the same thing here in verse 1. In the beginning was the word of life. Although we won't see the light reference until next week when we get to verse 5. In Genesis, God's word speaks everything into being. And in John and 1 John, God's word becomes incarnate or becomes flesh and blood. Now at that time, the word word had a profound meaning for both the Greek and the Jew. For the Greek, the word word or logos referred to the uncreated or eternal principle that, of reason that gave order and structure to the universe, meaning it transcended mankind. And for the Jew, the word was both God's means of revelation or his message to humanity and on occasion his divine presence in some physical form. John is connecting the dots for people that Jesus is the same eternal creative God who is the source of all things visible and invisible. Jesus is God's revelation of himself. Now, he first revealed himself through creation. Romans 1.20 tells us that. Alone, that wouldn't give us a complete picture of God's love for us. Then he revealed himself through his word, the Bible. But his final and complete revelation was in Jesus Christ. Uh, in his gospel, John wrote in John 14, uh, 9, that Jesus said that to see him was to see the Father. Uh, just as our words reveal who we are to others, Christ reveals to us the mind and heart of God. If we get Jesus wrong, we get God wrong. Now, what might be easy for us to miss here as well is that John is declaring that Jesus was both divine as God and in having seen and touched him personally that Jesus was also fully human. John says it three times in the first three verses for emphasis. By this point in time, John was one of the last eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. He was one of the few who could counter an early form of Gnosticism that had begun to corrupt the church. At this point, it was the heresy of Docetism. Docetic heresy taught that Jesus Christ only appeared to be a man with a body of flesh, but in reality, he was just a spiritual being, a phantom. They called Jesus the fleshless Christ. 
A docetism led to Gnosticism, which took it even further as time passed. But John heard, saw, and touched Jesus personally. Jesus came in flesh and blood and was fully God and fully man. Uh, This also leads us to the doctrine of the Trinity, which we talked about during our last series on the essential doctrines of the church. Uh, John ties it together more obviously if we jump forward to the, for a moment to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, where he mentions all three persons of God. There he writes, this is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Now he also mentions all three persons of the Trinity a few verses down in verses 13 to 15. Now, John isn't saying that there are three gods, just that God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in complete unity all of the time, all completely God. Okay, now, since we only have four verses, uh, let's read through all four again and see if this is beginning to tie together. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Now, let's focus on verse 2 for a minute. As I already said, John repeated this hear, see, touch Jesus three times in the first three verses. What is different about this verse in the original language is that it includes the word phanero, which generally translated, is generally translated as was manifested. Uh, but here in the New Living Translation, as was revealed. Uh, The word refers to the entirety of Jesus' earthly existence from his earthly ministry through the resurrection and then his future coming again in glory. But even then, it isn't just his biological life that was manifested uh, or revealed. It also refers to his divine, eternal essence that indwelt his body. And for John, this was just deeper than having been there physically with Jesus. He is also talking about the spiritual nearness to Jesus. Uh, Six times in this letter, John uses the words born of God, which comes from Jesus saying that except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, as John reported in his gospel in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. The implication is that though we didn't see and touch Jesus the same way John did, we can still experience the same real life when we believe and put our trust in Christ. Then we are born of God the same way John was. Now, this is the foundation for the rest of what John will write in this letter. We can all be born again, and when we are born again, we will begin to exhibit certain characteristics of being in the family, as we'll see over the summer. And these characteristics are the proof or the assurance that we have been born again. It all starts with the right belief of and in Jesus. Now, I know that most of you 
already know what that means and have already chosen to be born again. But some of you watching might need a little more clarification. God is a holy God. In him there is no darkness, only light. He is perfectly just, perfectly good, perfectly fair, perfectly loving. We, on the other hand, are far less than perfect. We choose to live self-focused lives. We hurt others. We hurt ourselves. Apart from God, we don't love very well. God created us to be in relationship with him, but on our own, we choose to walk in the other direction. We call that sin, and sin separates us from God. There is no way for us to fix what has been broken. In our sin, we reap the consequences of what we deserve, which is ultimately, uh, will ultimately result in the absence of God and hell. Now, the good news is that God gets it. He knows we can't fix it. We can never become holy on our own, which is why he gave us Jesus. Jesus was manifested physically on earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and then died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. When we believe in Jesus as the way to make things right with God and turn away or repent from our sin, when we acknowledge our need for Jesus as the answer and surrender our lives to his leading, we are born again. And we receive everything promised to us in his word, which includes a different destination than hell. But it is much more than that. When we are born again, we begin the journey of becoming like Jesus. It is a lifelong journey. And on that journey, our lives will begin to share some of the characteristics of, of Jesus and other Christ followers, some of which we'll discover in 1 John. But it all begins with being born again. Now, we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. I'm just going to let you stew on that a while while we continue with verses 3 and 4. And so now we come to verse 3. On the surface, John is re-emphasizing the hearing of, seeing of, and teaching of Jesus, a touching of Jesus. But remember, in the original language, this is where we see the verb that um, in what has been one long sentence. We proclaim. Uh, the principle here is that Jesus never meant for us to keep this to ourselves. This, the word for proclaim is related to the word for gospel, which refers to the a message of good news. A message is meant to be delivered, to be shared. And we see here in verse 3 the first purpose for sharing, that we may have fellowship. Now, fellowship simply means to have in common. Before we were born again, we had nothing in common with our holy God. But God sent Jesus to have something in common with us. So we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. But even having said that, we in the church have watered down the meaning of the word fellowship. We use it for everything. Uh, many churches have a fellowship hall. We have coffee together and we call it fellowship time. It's become like the word good. What does good really mean? We generally use good to mean so-so. Like, how was your day? Oh, that's good. Nothing exciting, nothing bad, nothing stellar. Biblical fellowship finds its roots in the word koinonia, which conveys an intimate, mutual participation in a life shared with one another. It is found in a deep spiritual union between God and the believer, as well as between brothers and sisters in Christ. 
we have intimacy with God and others. Intimacy implies that we both know and are known, not just a surface level relationship, but authentically known. That's what John is inviting us to experience. And the, ex the experience of the real deal, that kind of fellowship, will bring us to his next purpose in this letter. Verse 4, real joy. That our joy will be full. And like we've watered down the word fellowship, we've done the same with joy. We think of joy as an emotion, which comes and goes like anger and sadness and happiness. Uh, early 20th century pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that joy is something very deep and profound that affects the whole and entire personality. It is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fullness of joy, as John means here, is only found through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, lived out in deep community with brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything starts and ends in Christ. Now, as we close, let's pause for a moment and consider what all of this means. Uh, most of you here in the room and watching online would say that you've been born again. You've chosen to build your life on Jesus. The question I have for you this morning is, are you the real deal? Or are you peddling something you aren't living out? As you examine your life, what part or parts of it are still counterfeit? And then what one step could you take this week to make that part real? Press on, brothers and sisters. Now more than ever, the world needs to see us live our faith authentically. Following Christ doesn't mean we never experience challenges. Christians still get cancer like non-Christians. Christians still lose their jobs like non-Christians. Christians still have parenting challenges and financial challenges and marriage challenges. But we have Jesus and he makes the journey through the challenge different. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to get cancer, I'd rather get it with Jesus than without him. Uh, the world needs to see you living out the real deal, authentically pointing to Jesus, no matter what you experience in life. Now, for those of you who haven't made a decision to follow Christ, what's holding you back? Is it the counterfeit living you see in so many so-called Christians? If so, again, I'm sorry we haven't been living out what we believe. But don't look at us. Look at Jesus. He is the real deal. He loves you and he wants fellowship with you. Maybe it isn't the counterfeit Jesus you see in others that's holding you back. Maybe it's the counterfeit in you. Perhaps you feel like Jesus died for everyone but you. Like you've done more than he can forgive. Not true. The Apostle Paul hunted down and murdered Christ followers before he had his turnaround and then gave us about half of the New Testament. Like, there is no pit too deep that Jesus can't rescue you. Amen. Something else might be holding you back. What is it? Maybe it's time to dive in. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship like you've never experienced before. 
you can take the first step by agreeing with me and praying this prayer. Let's pray together. So for those of you who might not yet have a relationship with Jesus, our prayer has been that this morning you would recognize that there is a brokenness in that relationship. That the world is broken, that we are broken, isn't a surprise to anyone. We know that internally. We know that, that on our own, our best efforts have brought us to the place where we are still broken. Our prayer has been that you would reach out for Jesus, the only one who can heal the brokenness. And this morning, if if that's the place that you find yourself, we invite you to just say, yes, Lord, I confess my brokenness. I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I want to follow you. I believe in Jesus. The the actual words don't matter. It's your heart that, that God is looking at. It's okay to just say, yes, Lord. There is nothing better in life than a relationship with Christ. And this world will suck the joy out of you. We've experienced a long season where we have not seen a lot of joy in our culture. But as Christ followers, we can still have joy in the midst of the storm because Jesus is the answer and And it's way better in life to go through those challenges with Jesus than without. Father, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ already, we just ask the Holy Spirit to just surface the parts of our journey that we haven't yet surrendered completely to you, the parts that are still counterfeit, Uh, the bad attitudes that we have, the sin that that still holds us back, keeps us from, from real victory. Father, maybe even some of us have been experiencing a lack of joy. What a gift to know that there's, uh, there's something we can do to restore that joy, which is just press into intimacy with you press into fellowship with you. So whatever it is in each one of our lives, Father, reveal the way. Give us the courage to be obedient. Change our lives. Do what only you can do. Make us like Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, Thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. 
Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.